So the men, you could choose the director and one of the other men and they would, you know, you could then go and get involved with your own death. You know, some people were road deaths, some people were heart attacks, you know, and the, your director would tell you, would tell the rest of the men what your process was. So obviously there was a whole process, a lot of men choosing directors and designing their death and the way they were put in, in the grave. And then you would emerge from the grave and go walk across and you could get dressed up. I remember I had this gorgeous white robe which I chose to put wear and you went, went into the circle and you said your name. And I chose a spirit name at that time, and uh, which was Heoka. Heoka, the, the buffoon, the sacred clown of your Lakota nation. And, uh, and that had been put upon me in my unconscious shamanic initiation in Cortez Island. They called Heoka because I caused trouble. Uh, I, I was, you know, teasing them and causing trouble. And so anyway, Heoka was born and he had a very scary death and resurrection because in his new age hippie uh, way, he chose that he would be wrapped in a space blanket inside of... Uh, you were lowered into the grave with a long piece of canvas which you laid on top, uh, down on, and they wrapped the canvas around with you, and they lowered you into the grave, which is about that deep. Um, and then you stayed there. And I chose to be wrapped in this new age space blanket, which is all light and, you know. Anyway, he came back to haunt me because you know, you got to choose how much dirt was put on you. So I, they lowered me into the grave, and I chose, you know, if I'm wrapped in canvas, and you have the canvas tip here and the canvas tip there, you can't move your arms so much, especially if you have a bit of dirt on there. What I found was that I couldn't get to my face, and the space blanket was getting sucked into my mouth, so I couldn't breathe. I panicked. Yeah, and so I, I, I panicked, totally panicked. So it was a real spiritual death for me. I fought my way out of the canvas after about two or three minutes and sat in the grave thinking, Christ, I must have died here. You know, because the guys were over there sitting waiting for me, you know. Uh, there's some more stories about that. You know, the one guy uh, chose to have two feet of dirt put on him. And we were scared, you know, from a safety point of view. So we insisted that he have a didgeridoo down so he could breathe through it, right? And I was, and there, there has, and there, we had at least two people standing alongside the grave, and I was one of them. And I heard this man go through this incredible, fearful experience, you know, from his breathing. And at least we set up a communication so he could ask for any, because you couldn't get out from underneath there. Yeah. <coughs> anyway, that was 
And he came back as Hayoka, and I told the story. I remember one of the things that Michael put me up on was I was heavily into projection. And I talked about you instead of saying me, I. So he pulled me up during my epiphany, my speech. He said, uh, can you talk about you, not us? Because we didn't have this experience. And I got really burned by that, you know. I really was, I can remember it to this day, feeling really burned. Why, I don't know. Because I wanted to be me, I wanted to speak from I. Hayoka started projecting. Maybe it's when the sacred clown was acting out on me. <laughs> he certainly did down the years, still does to this day. Well, that's a function of both grandiosity and narcissistic wounding, right? Where you project out that my life, my experience, is everyone's. And so what, what I have to say and share about my life and what I suggest is uh, uh, the best course forward for me should in fact be everyone's best course forward. Yeah. I mean, believe me, I'm subject to the same, both grandiosity and narcissistic wounding. Yeah. I, mean, I, I know those well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is one of the important features of counsel work that you speak for yourself. Mm -hmm. Speak from I. It's one of the first lessons mm -hmm. we teach men mm -hmm. on our MKD yeah. weekend. Yeah. And you call your discussion groups I groups. Yes. Yeah. 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 Very clearly. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Mm. So um, I want you to reflect for a moment about. Uh, well, let me start here. I mean, there, there's a number of fault lines that I see in, in the field of rites of passage work, okay? Uh, just to give you some examples, you know, there's some that say, you know, the genders absolutely must be separate, and there's some that say, no, you can mix the genders. There's some that say, uh, you have to do it out in nature. Others say, no, you can do it, uh, you know, indoors if you have to, mm. in, a, in an office building even. Uh, and so there's also one that says, uh, you can't, Rites of passage cannot be a program. It has to be a, an organic community function. And others say, no, you know, we don't have functioning communities, so therefore we have to do programs. So it seems to me that because of your experience in TUI, that you, you, you somehow bridge that particular divide because your rites of passage came out as a function of healthy, wholesome communities. So I, I don't know if you, if you have anything to say, but I'd like for you to reflect. Sure, I have very much to say about that. I would say that it's now, after 30 years, that we're just beginning, the community as a whole is coming together in this process of council work. Um, there's been resistance down the years to the functioning of these, the tree field. In our events park where we hold these events. There's been clear resistance from a number of people in the, uh, in, who live in the community, are on the trust, are owners of this land. And I would say that they, they did not want to be involved. 
Uh, they didn't understand it, they didn't see that they had time for it, and, uh, and they didn't want to support it. They complained about the noise we made from drumming and things like that. Albeit, uh, starting about 10 years ago, when we were occupying the space in the tree field. See, we started, the women started here in the community, and we started the men's work in the grove of trees on the neighboring farmer's land. And when we came together, we would come together over there, not over here. Uh, and then we got kicked out by the farmer. So, we occupied that land, and the community, the trust, you say, not the community, because the community is just an aspect. Just as our education, our events park, is an aspect of the trust. The trust owns the land, owns the buildings. They don't own the personal homes. We're responsible for our personal homes and our income but we own the land and the buildings that belong to the community in, in trust. And I like that. That's one of the things that attracted me to, because the world has gone to shit by people manipulating and making money out of land. And your native uh, American people are really clear back from the time uh, you know, of the great speakings by some of the Black Elk and people like that, you know. Land, it cannot be owned, and I do truly agree with that. It can only be owned on a spiritual and a heart level, but when it becomes property, when it becomes something to buy and sell, it's, uh, yeah, anyway, we work around that. So you, you have long-term leases of everybody who has a home? Or no, not even no, leases? no, we can't. It's very difficult to get mortgages, to get finances here. Mm. Um, especially now Prometheus, which is one small mortgage company has gone down the tube, because uh, you don't own the land. Mm -hmm. uh, they own the building, but you don't own the land. Mm -hmm. Albeit we do have an agreed sort of land, uh, which we agree with our neighbors, you know, you look after that block of trees over there, and that's yours, and uh, I'll look after this piece of land over here, that's mine. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's very much very easy go, easy go. Got it. Yeah. So back to this internal community split then. So yeah. some people were, were very antagonized <coughs> by the, the right. Yeah, they didn't understand. They yeah. would, didn't want to become involved. And they weren't the people that were invited to be at the movable feast, for instance. You know, these kids were very clear. We don't want so and so here because it's pain in the ass, you know. And uh, there's people actually very gracious in allowing us to go through this process. Now we're much more the flavor of the month. You know, Trust invest has invested probably a quarter of a million dollars in the tree field with structures and, and uh, sewage systems and washing units and uh, the Washinui, as we call it. But, uh, uh, that's been our constant struggle until the last number of years. And of course, the, we're on a second, third generation here in this community. 
And so the new people who come in are quite different, and the community is much more civilized, shall we say, and less, much less feral than we were in the beginning. It was fake it till you make it sort of thing, you know, back in the day. And, uh, you know, we were much we were enjoying the fake it rather than the make it thing. <laughs> Well, again, it seems like that's one of the, the, maybe it wasn't articulated in this yeah. way, but one of the demands that the young people put on you yeah. is stop fucking faking it and be yeah. authentic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they couldn't get it. Of course, it doesn't matter which way you go or represent with teenagers, you know, they're going to choose the opposite because mm -hmm. they just are clear that they don't want to be like you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And they were right back in the day, and I'm sure there are some successful parents, you know, that have managed to stay alongside of their children all the way through, you know, but uh, there's not too many, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. So talk a little bit about the future uh, as you see it for Tracks and Tides, mm. or don't see it. I'm re-inspired by this uh, last weekend by you and Anna Rubenstein coming here, and you know I've I realized that I have to I've been reflecting on what is it that I have, what sticks and stones do I have to move around to emerge the uh, continuing evolution of the events, and. Quite honestly, I've let go of the uh, just just the last 24 hours. I've let go of the whole thing of having young leaders coming together. I see the power of young leaders, and I finally am stepping back myself and wanting enthusiastically wanting to get involved with having some leadership trainings uh, with boys, ex-boys, and ex-girls, tracks and tights, young people. We have a two-stage event here where you are invited to be acknowledged in your change from being a young a boy or a girl to be a young man or a young woman. He then invited to come back as a returning young adult to a next event when you are put into service and take responsibility. And some of those yeah, some of those young people you met at uh, the weekend, and they're mighty, and I'm so proud of them. In fact, if I had a way of doing it, I would insist that all yeah, all the people coming through tracks and tides have to embrace that second stage. Of course, you can't do that. But uh, that's where you see the growth and you can help the growth with mentoring and responsibility and being put into service. That's when apprenticeship really starts. It is, and they're brilliant. So I want to, as an elder, I want to step aside with the and of course, we've been going a dozen years now, so there's lots of men who were in their 30s and now in their 40s, uh, in their 20s and now in their 30s, 
have been given all sorts of responsibilities, running groups and rituals. So it's rich and evolving. The whole process is shifting and changing. Albeit the basic rituals are staying the same, but what happens in it is changing every time. You know, like we talked about this, you can never tell the same story twice. You can't get it. Again, as the storyteller, you can't say it with the same words and the same emphasis. As the listener, you can't hear it the same way ever again. So a story is a unique thing, and our rituals are the same. You can never do a ritual the same way. So the encouragement I see from honoring yourself is to engage more of these young people, these young leaders, to come back and influence the program, because it's time. They're the next generation. Here there's kids in there, not kids, young people in their late teens, early 20s, you know. We've got, we had an event, I think last January, when one of the boys who came to the first event, his name is Dean Harderich. He came to the first event and he came back through uh, a, a tracks event as a young man of 28 or 29 now. Yeah, 27, 28, that's about it. Because he was about 14 or 15 when he came through. And he wrote, the tribe of men uh, called the Karaka tribe, which is based on a tree. There's a couple of them growing here. Um, he wrote a story, a poem, about the Karaka men, which I, I was able to dig out of my papers and present to him at this particular event. He came back. He's got a lousy writing, so I couldn't read the bloody thing properly. So but he knew it straight away. And the right and the verse is perfect. And the message is amazing. So. Well, I want you to speculate a little bit and just roll out for me what you see as your vision. Or, or not even your. Don't even, you don't even have to make that sort of personal ownership of it if you don't mm-hmm. want. But a vision for the future of this community and this work even beyond your lifetime. Sure. Sure. i give that a go. <clears throat> or in a sense, maybe it's your blessing. You know, the blessing that you offer. <clears throat> I'm old enough now, and if this condition takes me and runs me, you know, I may not have too many years to go. So I'm able from that place to look at what do I need to do because they get out of the way. That's the first thing. I need to find a role as an elder where I can encourage and support the emerging men, women, young men, and young leaders. And my vision for the future is just that. Like I said the other night in the council circle, it's come clear to me that the evolution of rites of passage, of course, 
involves all the generations. And we start we started a program a couple of years ago called Rising Sons, which is eight to ten year old boys. Yeah, that's when it starts. It's a very much a father and, and son thing. The father and the son sleep together. And and then we begin our rites. And then we uh, we, there's a gap which Anna and I have been talking about for a while now. These these lost years when you've had a rites of passage, you've been back in service, and you're now late teens, early twenties. What's there for you? What's there for you? So leadership trainings, probably cross gender, mixing it up like Andrew is doing. And they're not initiation events as such. They're council events, certainly, but they need to, their creativity that I think that will come out of those events is massive. And they're the, they're what we're doing the work for, yeah. The other part is, you know, the 30s and 40s, the people that are holding and facilitating that work. As you get into the 50s, so, you know, late 40s, 50s, you start to step onto the eldership path. And the eldership path is designed so that, you know, it's, it's people, men with potential, men with potential, stature and wisdom. They're walking a path, a good path in life. They're not perfect, they're, but they're good men. And, and then, and then you come through and you, know, you realize you become, you're recognized in this community as an elder now. Because you hold the elder stick, which represents either a direct eldership, and you have to choose. It's not about me telling you what you are. I can give you the stick, but what you do with it, and I know you do heaps and have been doing heaps for years and years and years. There was no question in my mind who should get their stick. You're not on the eldership path, you're an elder for Christ's sake. You know, but you have to step into it, it's your path to step along. It's a poem which I try and paraphrase for you. You walker, you are the path. There is no road walker, you make the road by walking. You make the road by walking. And when you look back over the path that you've walked, you will see where you have been. There is no road walker, only wind trails on the sea. And that's a Machado poem which says it for me. You know, we can't, we do it by, it's all in the doing when it's over, it's done. It's that simple. It's the same with eldership. You are now recognized in this community as an elder. Whether you like it or not, you're, a, you're an elder. And we expect certain things of you. And hopefully we can get drunk and stoned a bit later and I can see even greater possibilities for you. <laughs> Sorry, I had to put that so, yeah, I had to go there. So, but that's it. The, this community is third generation. You know, we, we came here with 30 years ago with little ones. He was 14, Jay was 14, but I had a a six-year-old there at that time. So, and now we've got 
six-year-olds and kids and small ones again. And the parents have come through, they've procreated and so on. Albeit the community as such, the people in the community as such, has turned over 200% in that 30 years. So there's only three or four of the founders who are here still. I'm not a founder. And the, all the rest have gone out into the world. I mean, the fear that we had that when our kids, of course, wanted to come back here, there wouldn't be a place for them. They haven't wanted to come back yet. Yet. Jay came back when he decided it was awful hard to live in his dreams here, so he left. And we had one young man who stayed here and, uh, and he went out in the world briefly and came back. But he's now left again. He had a family and children. It's a bit tragic actually. But so is, the community is an ch all-changing thing. It's a process. It's not a, it's almost like a ritual. In fact, I've never had that thought before. The community is naturally ritual. Because you start, the spirit moves, and 30 years later, you're, you come to a, a return, shall we say. Yeah. yeah. Well, first of all, thank you for that blessing. It's easy. Sometimes it's not so easy. You know, pointing at an elder, which I've tried to do in the past, who am I to say, you are wise? Who am I in the past who pointed at me, you're an elder? You know, I have made a mistake. And that person, next time, next ritual or something, goes and I saw one of my elders pulling out his cell phone in this circle, at an event. You know, I, well, first of all, we're not meant to have any cell phones, you know. And this guy is an elder and he's pulling out a fucking cell phone, you know. I go, holy shit, you know. But he wasn't ready. He was on the eldership path, but he wasn't ready to be there totally, all the time, every moment, yeah. But you're, you, you're there all your life. Life is one big living ritual for you. <laughs> it is. Well, it's interesting that you say that uh, for two reasons. You know, one is it certainly has not always been that. But, um, uh, you know, I've been very conscious in the last three, four years, and I, that's my daily prayer is to walk my life as a sovereign. Yeah, yeah. I use the word sovereign. I don't say yeah. elder, but as a sovereign. Um, and because, you know, that was the, the most difficult learning for me in my life was to uh, resurrect, inhabit, learn to be sovereign, you know. It's a beautiful word. It's, it is a beautiful word, and it, and it was challenging. But the second thing is that, you know, six weeks ago, vision quest, you know, in California with Gigi and Roger and these other beautiful people, you know, I said, that, you know, that I had a, a palpable experience of 
one of the great goals of my lifetime, which is to experience every moment as a sacred moment. see that in, in your life, and I see that in your work. And I don't think it's all projection. <laughs> you know, only one way to find out, Frederick. <laughs> What's that? Yeah, you do, you, you do it. I, I'm a projection on you. Tell me honestly, do you see it as an elder? Well, you know, in a sense I have to now, right? I, I have to. I, I've just been blessed at the eldership. Yeah, poor so, answer, poor answer. <laughs> Try again. <laughs> Put it this way, I, you know, I, do I see myself as a wise man? I'd say yes. Yeah. I do. But for whatever reason, elder is fraught with more meaning. Than, than wise man, you know, so I'm a little bit hesitant still to, to wear that mantle. Well, I, would, I, I, would argue, yeah. I would argue that elders are not, um, elders cannot be self-initiated. Mm -hmm. They cannot even be initiated by another elder. Mm -hmm. But that elders are pushed up from underneath. That they're chosen by a community of younger people, mm. less experienced people. Mm. This was a conversation that we were having in uh, Tahara with Don Boak and us young hostile wow. people wow. were saying, we weren't saying, where are the elders? We were saying, you are uh, an elder, uh, whether you like it or not, uh, you're it. Right. That's all we've got. Right. So start playing that so role. So start playing the role. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I agree. He chooses the elder. Yeah. You know, it's like you a, a wise that. person and sovereign, you know, yeah. That I think is something that can be self chosen or, you know, or to a certain extent. But, you know, an, an, an elder for me needs a community underneath. Yes. You know, and it is that thing of uh, leading, you know, like Edge spoke about leading. Facing backwards into your community, yeah. you know, you're yeah. leading through yeah. service. Yeah. You know, it's like it's not a, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a mountain shape. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a reverse. You know, it's like you're, you're holding mm -hmm. a community. Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's a you're back service. It's a reverse Maslow triangle. Mm. Wonderful. Put it upside down. Mm. Yeah, beautiful. I like it. And that whole Māori concept of backing into a life is a brilliant one. Mm. Yeah, you're backing. Yeah, you're looking back on the history, the ancestry, the wisdom, and you occasionally you can look over your shoulder and see where it is you're going. You make sure you don't bump into things. Occasionally you may also need to turn around and charge into the future, but mostly you. Looking, checking. I think, I think the concept really goes is that you, you never turn around because you're you're following the 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 guidance yeah. of those that are walking. You know that are facing. 
no, you're to the future. You, 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 you know, it's like you are, you're listening to the guidance of the elders. The you're listening to the guidance of the ancestors. You know, and it's through their guidance that you know where you're going. Well, yeah. and it's, it's trusting. And it's a lovely concept. It's yeah. a lovely concept. Agreed. Yeah. 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 And scary. Yeah. But, but what is worthwhile isn't. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Huh. Are we done? Well, that's what I'm asking myself. Why poetry? What's the poetry all about? Oh, it's interesting. I've just been reflecting because we've just finished this book on rites of passage, yeah, which is essentially a story, a story book. And albeit it's a manual, I hope it's more of a manual. I want to, I want to the book to enable people to see what we do. I want to take the lid off the box without giving away the spirit trail too much, without unleavening the bread, so to speak. Because you unleaven the bread, it's not going to rise by itself. Uh, what? What I felt for myself is on my spirit journey, my personal spirit journey, that when we write this book on allegory and story and poetry, it won't be about putting the verse out there. It'll be about, like Robert Bly does in his, his books, uh, the Bodega and the Bone book and they introduce the concepts of the poetry and what it means and the interpretation of the poetry. And for, for me, I find myself inadequate at describing the spirit journey and the, the feeling. Hang on, Susie. Is it, is Susie, can you go away, open? please? Or can we do no. the doors closed? Yeah, so I find myself inadequate, I have uh, find myself inadequate to at uh, uh, some point in my sharing or in the circle, in the circle council, in the fire circle council, and especially at the end when you're wanting to in some way summate the magnificence of the spirit moving in the circle, the achievement of the last two hours of storytelling. In order to deepen myself and enable the languaging to be sufficient to describe what has just occurred, then what I would do, what I still do, and I still do it throughout, for, throughout my life now, is to access the words of a great poet that has come to my mind. And at the end of circles, I run through my head. And during circles, I'm running through my head all the poetry that I know. Some of it I can't speak, but I can get the essence of it. But I go, is it the breeze of dawn? Is it the... Is it the the wind one brilliant day, is it 
What is it that summates this moment in this event, in this circle for me? And when it comes, it sits and it comes out. And I speak it out. And apparently, it helps to deepen the space because I've had ongoing feedback over the years, not from everybody, because not everybody's in the same place. They don't get it and they hate poetry or whatever. But, you know, a lot of people have been impressed by my ability to speak poetry, albeit badly. And, you know, there's a, you know, what I usually do, I have done for a number of years now, is I speak a poem out twice and then I try to paraphrase it, and I say what it means to me, or this story. Uh, was a, there was a moment when Edge was honoring me in the field over there. And he said, it's, it doesn't matter whether the gold wine sits in your cup, or if you cloud the pure glass. And what that's a part of my Machado, which goes, Something like, it doesn't matter now if the gold wine sits, uh, floats abundantly in the crystal glass, or if the bitter juice clouds the glass itself, because you know the secret pathways of the soul. The place that dreams stay, go, and the quiet afternoons where they go to die, there the good and silent spirits of life are waiting, and one day, they will come to carry you to a place of eternal peace. So he just alluded to that. I got it. I can be a prick, you know. I can cloud my pure glass. I can make bitter the juice that I put out. I can be a golden wine sitting in this crystal glass. And, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because I know for me, I can, I'm walking along the spirit trail. And one day, fairly soon now, perhaps, the spirits are going to carry me to a place of eternal peace. So that, this is it for me. And what's wonderful about, and what's a complete mystery for me about poetry and about stories too, great stories that have lived for thousands of years that Michael Medris says and read, read, uses so well, is that there are always dilemma stories. The poetry always has this dilemma, because your interpretation and my interpretation, they are different. But what the poets have is a marvelous ability. I mean, imagine the words of Rumi, translated from the Persian, you know, a 13th century poet, and he's now the most popular poet on the face of the earth, you know. How does that happen? If we can't believe in the magic of that, it's just a series of words, for Christ's sake. But somehow, had that bloke David Abrams I was telling you about, I'll show you his book, I was reading it last night, He's talking about, uh, you know, the hundreds of thousands of languages that we've lost and are losing all the time. And he's saying how, he's talking about a particular explorer called Cordova Reese, 
who goes into the rainforest and finds this tribe, this remote tribe there, and tries to learn his, uh, you know, he studies language, he studies indigenous culture, he studies the ways of the, they do spirit, the way that they live, and he couldn't make any sense of this language. It didn't fit for him at all. But as he lived there, as the months went by, he got enculturated in the forest and deepened into the forest and the sound of the birds and the wind in the trees and so on. He found he could speak their language. How many languages they're talking about? The Kuyukon, who live out in Alaska somewhere. How the name of the birds and so on, the sound of the birds' name tells you which bird it is. Yeah. And I've got a book in the other room, which is a turn of this 19th century, turn of the 20th century book, written and illustrated by this, this vicar which says, the, it describes all the birds, their eggs, their nesting habits, their, and that was rich back there, you know, um, back there. And the, it describes the call of the bird. And it's there. You can you say, you know, when I'm not sure what I'm hearing out here with the bird, I go back to the book. Right? Go, oh yeah, that's a, that's a thrush, or that's a chaffinch, you know. Because the description by this man of the name of the bird fits. Yeah, yeah, so magic. So you can see that I'm enthused about the next book. And uh, you're, you're a lover of poetry. Please join us in this book. Wow, well thank you. Uh, I mean, I'll be happy to offer whatever I can. Something that moves you. How does it move you? When does it move you? The Why poems. does it? Yeah. Well, I already offered you one today. Yeah. How yeah. many do you want? Yeah, but you have to be prepared to write the story of the poem. Yeah, and why, the and why and how. Why and how it moves you, what it means to you, yeah. what it calls back to you. Well, that's, yeah, that part I'm not sure I agree with you on. I mean, I, I love the idea of you say it twice so that everyone can hear it and absorb it fully. And I like to think that if the, 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 the poem will speak in its own way to each individual. And I don't relish taking the role of playing interpreter for the whole group. I think the poem... Yeah, but you can tell what it means for you. True. Yeah, but it's... Yeah. But most poems, in my experience, that are good ones, speak so clearly. I mean, like, and, and the very one that you mentioned, the Rumi poem, you know, the breeze at dawn whispered. Yeah. Right when you were saying those words, I was thinking that poem. I was thinking those very words at the exact same instant. Because that's one I can never remember the whole literal poem, but I've heard it so many times, I should know it, and I certainly get the gist of it, you know, do not go back to sleep, yeah. you know, do not go back to sleep. 
You must, you must ask what you really want. Yeah. You must ask, you put yourself forward. Yeah. And the door between the world, these two worlds is round and open wide. That's a circle. When I, when I have spoken that, that poem into a circle, in down the council circle, mm -hmm. try it. Try it at the next MKB oh, well, circle. Believe me, I've seen it modeled by yeah. some of my favorite but, men in MKB. Yeah. They do it but, in our circle. Yeah, but the, the door is between the two worlds is open wide and it's round. If, the, if you think of the circle as being an opportunity to move forward in spirit, mm -hmm. it fits, it fits. Mm -hmm. And you must ask for what you really want. I love that place of it. They don't go back to sleep and encourage people to feel that they're awake in the moment. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, more than feel like you're awake, we're surrounded by opiates. <laughs> Whether it's yeah. TV or alcohol yeah. or drugs yeah. or whatever, yeah. right? We're encouraged to go back to sleep all the time. Yeah, yeah. So. Ah, well. I don't know whether you go back to sleep all the time, but we're encouraged to, to move, change consciousness, well, change right. awareness, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I'm good. You, did you have any other juicy questions like that one? Don't ask me to, don't give him permission to say, uh, uh, tap into my juice. He knows too much about me. I bet. No. You know me very well. I'm so fortunate to have you, well, then, you as my son. I'm sorry. Yeah, sorry. No, I, I, well, I interrupted your blessing, and I'm sorry for that. But I've been waiting to ask Jay this, so let me ask you this. So what is it like to do initiation work, men's work, father-son work with your own son? And please name the subject, because my questions won't be in this. So, what it's like for me to work with You see, it's been a natural progression for us, because you meant get it the goes way. in the answer. Yeah. So, yeah. for me to work with my son is a pain in the ass. You know, like that. Get the question and the answer. You follow me? For me to work with my son. <laughs> It goes back to so much history. We've done so much together. But the main thing I flicked to in my mind was that we have shared the earliest event, men's events, almost the earliest men's events. After my initiation, I think there might have been a few events in there. And when do you see yourself getting involved with the events, Jay? Around 96, 97? When, they, when you moved over to the site here in Yeah, 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 yeah. That was in 96. 97 was the first one. I see if you yeah. can get the question and the answer. Hmm. It'll just help. It's a well, he, he already did. I mean, it wasn't, it's workable, what he, what he said. He wants me to be concise so that his edit, editing is easier. Well, well not concise. It's, it's, uh -huh. it's, it's a, it is an editing issue, but yes, it's naming the subject. But that's okay. Go ahead and complete your thought. Say the question again. 
What is it like to do initiation work and men's work with your own son? Gosh, I'm stumped. Whew. Well, um. can I prompt you further with a, with a thought? In MKP, whenever there's a father and son pairing together on a weekend, it's a blessing for all men there. Hmm. I've seen it every single time. And it doesn't matter if the father is going through as an initiate and the son is on staff, or the reverse, the son is going through and the father's on staff, or they're both on staff, or they're both going through, doesn't matter. The father and the son being together in some way heals all men in their own father wounds and their son wounds. Mm. Yeah, I was going to go, I agree with everything you said, and I was going to go into the story, how it started and the process of it. But the simple thing is that to be in sacred space, in ritual space, and to, with my son, and to be involved with designing that space, is indescribably completing as a father, to stop, like last night in the, in the local school, when he was running the thing, as for me, you know, he was standing up there, speaking it out, and he was calling it in, and he was taking charge of the whole, the way the thing went, in terms of all the way around to you. <clears throat> when you saw people leasing, leaving, and you went over, put your hat down and said, hey, this is the place you put your cohort, you know. It's just like, wow. It's a, it's a, a contentedness, a, a feeling of completeness, of not, I can't ever say that I will come to the place of just feeling like he's another man. That won't happen. Um, I wouldn't want that for him and I wouldn't want him to project that on me in any way. This idea of just being men together, it uh, never happens. We've done, we have a ceremony in, um, in the middle of the, uh, just before the major ritual space, which is called the father separation. It's an individuation process, which where just before a boy is going to go off for his major ritual and the boy, his boy is, is just about to end. And uh, there's a, a, a string which is put and the father stands on one side of the fire and the boy stands on this side of the fire. And the, and the, the uh, facilitation is absolutely simple, but it's very important. You got somebody standing alongside the father and somebody standing alongside the boy. And it always starts with the father. 
Jim, standing across the fire from your son, Jay, do you have some words to, to say to him at this time? So, away you go. Then, when I finish, yeah, facility asks, are you done? And thus, important the facilitation is, is sensitive, because often our father will stop because he's choked up or whatever it is, and he hasn't got more to say, he needs to wait. So then the other facilitator says, Jay, standing across the fire from your father, you have some words for, to say. So we've done that a number of times because uh, we wanted to, in the early days, we had to learn about it ourselves, and we uh, wanted to model it well. So often we would do this father separation, and yeah, maybe only six months apart, maybe only three or four months apart. Yeah. So, that was the card fault. Excuse oh, me. Yeah. yeah. So you got me to it. Yeah, you got me to it. Uh, but yeah. Well, I'd, yeah. I'd like you to finish the story. Mm. And just sitting here. Oh, ah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it could be. A, it could be a sentence or two to finish. Exactly. That's all yeah. Yeah. Just another um, last sentence or two, and then we're done. Yeah, and you're leaving at 2.30, correct? So you've got all of these other ones from yesterday, correct? Yeah. Yeah, 2.45, the latest, a little bit late yesterday. Mm -hmm. So just finish up the story so you're standing across from the fire, modeling it for the others. So the facilitator on the other side of the fire, standing alongside of Jay, says, Jay, standing across the fire from your father, Jim, do you have some words to say? And so when they've both spoken, the one of the facilitators says, Jim, are you ready to lower the string into the fire and burn through it to signify an important chapter in the life of your, your relationship with your son, Jay? And then the facilitator asks Jay that the same thing. And then we bend down, everybody stands in the circle to witness, and we burn through the string. And then all the men thumb their hearts. And the folks put out their string, they have a hug, and that's it. But it's so potent ritual. Oh, if you haven't got it in the I think head. you just disconnected the mic out of your eyes. Oh. <laughs> uh, I, I don't think I did, did I? Well, I can't hear you as well now. Uh. Okay. <laughs> oh, I did. I did.
Yeah, right. Okay. Where was that? Uh, the thumping, yeah. yeah. Okay. Right there. So it's just rounding things up, really. Yeah, so then the two have a hug, the father and son have a hug, and while they're doing that, the circle shows its appreciation by thumping over their heart. It's done. It's such a simple ceremony. So, how's it, what's it like to do work with, with this man, my son? It's, it's a blessing. It's, that's what he says. To witness his spiritual growth, his strength and his power, his vulnerability as he goes through the stages of life. It's total privilege, total blessing. I think if there's a word to describe it, it can only be proud, proud pride, a filling of the heart. Yeah. Heart blessing. Yeah. That's that's it. Beautiful. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Nice. Didn't realise it was gonna be so much fun. <laughs> 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 <laughs>